Welcome to the Lion's Roar Dharma Center podcast from Dona Darge Temple. This public talk by Lama Yeshe Jinpa was recorded during a regularly scheduled Sunday morning service. Happy New Year. <laughs> In our tradition, we celebrate two New Year's, like uh, secular New Year, and then... Uh, Losar, which uh, is like Tibetan New Year that takes place uh, along the lunar calendar, sometimes very close to Chinese New Year. Does anybody know when that is this year? February something, yeah. Yeah. So we'll do, it's called Losar. In our tradition, we want people to be happy and free, but we recognize that uh, it's necessary to train the mind and the emotions in the body in order to be happy and free. Because without the training, without um, intentional work, uh, we, we won't achieve that result. <clears throat> so, uh, naturally, uh, we do want to train. Naturally, we want to wake up. Naturally, we want to be happy and free, but we don't have the right information, uh, and sometimes we don't have the right motivation. So that's why uh, we study text, or we study with a teacher, or we meditate, and we look within. Uh, if we could have found it totally by ourselves, there would be no reason for you to come here today, right? Yeah, so... No reason for me to teach. <clears throat> no reason for me to have teachers either. So even though we have to come to uh, realization by ourselves, we have to examine our own experience uh, through uh, intuition, through faith, through logic, through listening to others. Uh, we, need, we need some structure. So that's why we have, like, have a temple. That's why we have meditation instructors, that's why we have texts, that's why we have teachers. We're interdependent with each other. We cannot entirely do it alone. So that's why people hear me say a lot, uh, there are no uh, cowboy Buddhas. <laughs> there is a, actually a term um, in our tradition, it's called uh, Prateka Buddhas. Uh, people that figure out a certain amount by themselves, that they achieve some kind of peace of mind, some kind of insight by themselves. And of course, we can do this. But without um, the motivation to be of benefit to others, without the motivation to help relieve others of suffering, and without receiving and um, listening to others and being connected with others, uh, we can't achieve, in our tradition, what we call uh, final enlightenment or Buddhahood. So we we need uh, uh, a project like a temple. We need to come together. We need to sing together. We need to mow the lawn together and fix the temple together. Uh, and we need to meditate together. Otherwise, we could just sit in our house or apartment or a cave, right? Never come out. You know, just go on the internet, right? <clears throat> also. Uh, if we sit by ourselves, meditate by ourselves, of course, uh, we're going to have obstacles. We're going to have resistances, which we have to deal with always. But they're not the same resistances 
as dealing with other annoying people. You just won't get it. You, we must have other people who have other ideas, other ways of doing things to uh, liberate ourselves. We, we can't just be with people that totally agree with us all the time. That's called fascism, right? Or something else, I don't know. But you know, I just want to be around the same people. We all agree with each other, and that's it. The real world where we actually learn how to live interdependently and appreciate each other's both sameness and differences is called Shambhala. Um, Shambhala is a, a mythical land uh, and a real place at the same time where actually people practice dharma, which means they understand interdependence, they understand compassion, they understand that it's necessary to have different people, diverse ideas that still can work in harmony. So that's what we're uh, doing here at Lions or at the temple. It's particularly difficult uh, to work you know, with annoying people, let alone ourselves. It's very, very difficult uh, to work with those people that are actively against us, against our beliefs, or, or even enemies, right? So uh, in Buddha Dharma, uh, Buddhist teachings, and the history of uh, our tradition, uh, there are many examples in the Buddha's lifetime, in Dalai's li Dalai Lama's lifetime, in our lifetime, where we've been willing to or have been forced to work with people that don't like us or are out to harm us, isn't that so? So uh, the Bodhisattva path, the path of uh, empathy and awakening and compassion also teaches us how to work with people that are actively against us or wanting to harm us. We have to learn how to work with that skillfully. There are people right now that want to harm us um, and we may be living with them, right? <laughs> there, are, there are people that, uh, now I can give it back. Is it working now? Okay, good. Thanks. So working with people that are against us and want to harm us um, takes a lot of skillful means. I'm not talking about the way of saints where we have to just go, uh, okay, it's great, people are willing to harm us, whatever. Um, but because uh, sometimes we have to exclude people that want to harm us or we have to distance ourselves from people that want to harm us or we have to um, do a lot of trauma therapy around people that have wanted to harm us. But still, they're on the planet or they're still in our minds or they're still in the past. So Buddha Dharma is very practical. It deals with this, the ideal conditions of when people want to be in harmony and work together, but it also deals with very difficult situations of, of trauma and irreconcilable differences. There are irreconcilable differences in the world, right? Now, politically, socially, economically. The people we don't like or the people that don't like us and wish we would go away, we're not going away and they're not going away. 
Isn't that so? They really aren't going away. We're, you know, even if we thought we, we could blow everybody up, they're not going to go away. So you can say, well, it's good. They're there, and I'm here, and we've worked on some rules, and we've worked on some ways to get along. But the fact is, no matter what we do, we're going to, have, we're going to be in a world where people are going to have many profound differences who may even wish to harm us. But we still are living in the world. How do we do it? That also is Shambhala. So I don't want to portray Shambhala or our goals uh, uh, for enlightened society as like this is uh, a utopia somewhere else. It's, it's got to be here. So we learn to get along in harmony as much as we can, and we learn how to work when things are really bad. We learn how to work with illness and death and disappointment like that, skillfully, right? <coughs> So Dharma uh, in America is at a very wonderful place now because we have other skillful means, not just meditation and prayer and singing and community work and ritual. We also have like the disciplines of psychotherapy and med- uh, medications and medicine and uh, peace working activities, don't we? It's fantastic. And we, we can use technology in a positive way too. So sometime uh, in February, uh, one of the therapists from Middleway Health is going to give a presentation on uh, what's called biofeedback, which is a wonderful adjunct uh, to meditation and a freestanding therapy in and of itself. Who, who here has ever done any some biofeedback work? Oh, wow. <clears throat> well, our biofeedback therapist is here in the audience, and she can say hi at the end. <laughs> so uh, I d- I've done a lot of training in biofeedback too and it actually helped my meditation practice because I started paying attention more to my breathing and more to my uh, physiological response because in our tradition Tantra it's enlightenment in the body or, or the enlightened body too right it isn't just like mind as opposed to body it's body mind realization so when we actually pay attention to our experience, we can liberate it. So I think Karen is talking in February. Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> January 26th, right, Karen? Yeah, Karen Randalls, yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's a llama trick, you know? We say something wrong, and then, then people have to correct. Isn't that true? Do other people do that? If you want to get someone to speak up a little bit, you'll say it wrong, and then they have to correct you, right? (laughs) (laughs) Teachers know that one, right, Sue? You know that one. She's just, no, no. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Last year, uh, Dr. Altshuler and Justin Altshuler gave a a talk too, right? So we'll have other talks on medicine and healing. Uh, we'll have talks on, on recovery from uh, addictions and substance abuse, you know, and we can even have maybe talks on technology in an enlightened way, right? We could do that, don't you think? Yeah. We're going to take uh, a break right before noon so people can stretch, and then we're going to do. Uh, Uh, silent meditation afterwards.
Does everybody think they can do at least 18 minutes? I think so, yeah. You think you could do 18 minutes a day? How many people think they can meditate 18 minutes a day? How many people think they could meditate 24 minutes a day? Wow, that's good. <clears throat> At uh, the Dharma Center here now, uh, I'm training people to uh, be meditation instructors. Uh, meditation instructors uh, have to train with me and uh, make a commitment of at least 24 minutes of uh, meditation, calming the mind meditation uh, a day. They have to keep the precepts and they have to do some reading and study. So uh, uh, we'll have, we need to have smart meditators, don't you think? But it's hard. Sometimes people go, well, I'm too busy to do 24 minutes a day. So be honest, right? So sometimes it's okay to just say, I'm, I'm a meditation, I'm calling a meditation facilitator, so we'd like to do 24 minutes a day and advocate it, but maybe we're only doing six, right? So if, if you can do six, you advocate six minutes a day, but if you can do 24 minutes a day, keep the precepts, and, and you, you want to learn how to share and learn how to teach meditation, learn how to do it, uh, I'm, I'm willing to train people. We had a short meeting uh, last year, in December, uh, and uh, Connor and I put together uh, a workbook, a reader, on uh, how to teach basic calm abiding or mindfulness meditation and insight meditation, awareness meditation, and I'd like to see this as a regular thing. So some people already know about this, but I'm, I'm, I'm putting it out. There might be some people that actually uh, can do the study and the reading and keep the precepts. What are the precepts, the five? Can anybody recite the five precepts? Jackie can. Don't kill. Don't lie. Sexualism. What's the fifth one? Don't tie yeah. That's the hard one, right? Because people go, oh, uh, I'm just drinking a little bit. But really, for meditation instructors, uh, we have to take the opinion that uh, we, we don't have to alter our mind at all. In this tradition, we start actually at the very top, just the way the Buddha did. After the Buddha's uh, enlightenment experience, he exclaimed, all beings are manifesting as the Tathagata, as my own energy. But what a pity they don't see it. So immediately he expressed something from the aspect of great completion meditation from the standpoint of Dzogchen. So um, we, we have to start there. Don't make anything, don't alter the natural uh, radiance, luminosity of the mind. That sounds easy, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> is the easiest thing and the hardest thing. So, uh, at first, to, to actually uh, accomplish that, to master that, uh, we, we have to do many practices to strip away what we don't need. And what, what we don't need is to, uh, to try to alter 
uh, our mood that way. It's difficult, right? It's difficult, I know. So that's why we have a mindful recovery program here. That's why I put an emphasis on uh, all the precepts, particularly fifth precept. Uh, no, I don't know any other American Lama doing that. Do you? Making uh, refuge students and instructors take all five precepts. Do you know anybody else that makes you do that? I don't. Because everyone else wants a big temple, <laughs> lots of students. <laughs> yeah. What's the five precepts that you Go over them again. The, the individual liberation precepts are meant to stop harming, right? So that's why they're not really negative. It's just like stop harming yourself. Don't harm others. Then bodhisattva precepts are really refined, don't harm. And then when, when you don't harm, try to help, right? <laughs> and then Vajrayana precepts are seeing uh, pure view, it's called. Seeing things as they are through pure view. And finally, Dzogchen precepts are, don't, don't make anything. So to really do the Mahamudra Dzogchen practice that I'd like people to do, we have to start from the correct basis right away. So when we're doing our meditation practice, the motivation is to wake up to the nature of mind itself, but to see it without altering it. That's difficult, isn't it? There's this Heisenberg principle in physics that, I don't know, I'm not a scientist, but you know, anything you examine alters it, right? There's that idea. Okay. That's true on a relative level. That's true on a conventional level because we're constantly imputing some kind of reality and we're constantly altering it uh, through, through our very engagement with it. But uh, here, in our Tantrayana view, is we're, we're going to make the lion's roar, which is actually we can see something and proclaim it without altering it. That's a big claim, right? Because there's always some little spin, isn't there? We're always trying to, like, a little bit spin it so it looks a little bit better or something, or detract or mess with it somehow, right? But actually, we can uh, see it and we can proclaim it without changing it. That's a big claim, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it's called the lion's roar. <laughs> the mind can actually recognize the mind and it doesn't have to uh, change it. So uh, Mahamudra and Dzogchen is beyond even the path of Tantra in, in the strict sense because it's not a path of uh, transformation. It's a pl- uh, path of complete recognition. Not, nothing is altered.
But actually, weirdly, to get there, we, we have to uh, alter our behavior to start with. Isn't that weird? You think, OK, well, since I don't alter anything, I'll just do nothing. <laughs> I'll stay home and watch the ball game, right? <laughs> but then we find that it doesn't actually work, that we end up changing our mind even when we try to do nothing. Haven't we all tried that? When I first started reading Dharma, uh, when I was 14, 15, I thought, well, the rest of these monks and lamas and roshis are all stupid because I'm just sitting in my room and I'm not altering anything. I must be enlightened, right? <laughs> so uh, eventually we find that uh, even though we've heard the highest teachings so we kind of get it that we should just accept ourselves just as we are, we can't do it. So on this, even a secular level, uh, particularly in California, we're all working on accepting ourselves just as we are, aren't we? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, we just go, okay, I just want to accept myself. And why is that so difficult? We should just be able to do it, right? We've all had tons of therapy or something, and we should say, okay, I've read Tara Brock, I should be able to accept myself. <laughs> but we can't do it. We actually find that we actually have to do some kind of yoga there has to be some kind of method. We actually have to have some kind of discipline. We actually have to sometimes restrict ourselves and then sometimes let ourselves go to actually discover what the unfabricated state of awareness is actually like. It's paradoxical, isn't it? We should just be able to go, okay, I accept myself as I am. You know, now what? But then we find we're always messing with others and we're messing with ourselves. And at that point, when we start to be uh, really honest with ourselves, then we have to undergo some kind of deep uh, practice. So that there can come a point where we really can let go and let be, or even beyond letting go and letting be, right? Where we can actually do that. It's right, quite marvelous that we have to do all this work. <laughs> So now we have a few minutes for uh, uh, before we take a break. For uh, if anybody has some, uh, like I call questions, comments, um, or complaints, and we have a microphone somewhere. Getting to your paradox uh, statement, yeah. um, would the first step to accepting yourself perhaps be to accept that you don't accept yourself? Yes, that's it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Yeah, we just kind of go, wow, I, I am spending a lot of time judging, condemning, fixing, changing, messing with, you know, just all that. And we, we usually have to not only, a little bit like 12-step, we have to admit it to ourselves, another person, and whatever we think our higher power is. We have to just say it out loud. We have to finally, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always messing with myself. I can't seem to stop it. Yeah, just like that. That's the start. So that's when we, that's when we say we develop renunciation. 
Because you go, I, I really just want to stop that. And then that's when we say, I, I need some help to stop. Like that. It's just like that. Yeah. When people don't ask questions, that means that I've been entirely clear. <laughs> which, <laughs> which can't be possible. But, or you tell, everyone gets it totally. Okay, and then Marie, yes. Um, I've been coming here for a couple of years, maybe three years, on and off. And, um, I'm damaged, and, and, and I always attempt to work on myself. But I come in here, and no one rarely says hello. Um, I come to the meditation on Saturday, and it always feels like it's a, an antagonistic like there's always noise. I mean, we put signs up for people to whatever noble silence means. I imagine it just means be quiet. Yeah. And it doesn't happen that often, and and I, I just I don't get it. I, I I you said Shambhala, like it's a place of peace, kind of. Yeah. And I come in here and I I just really don't feel it. And um, I mean, I know there's things that I can do also, but. I've seen more open arms in uh, an NA meeting in county jail than right. I have here. Yeah. And I just, I'm curious about the philosophy of what's going on. Well, hello. What's your name again? I'm Chris. Hi, Chris. Okay. N now we've no said, one's asked me my name. And now we've said hello. Yeah, you're in. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. So, yeah, let's improve that, okay? That would be good. Chris, typical Lama thing is would be like, okay, Chris, now you're going to be our greeter. So, because <laughs> you understand that Dharma. Yeah, how you like that? I noticed one thing your hair's gotten longer. Is that so? Yeah. yeah. It looks good. Yeah. It has been real long, yeah. But, some people know, like, back in my kind of yogi days, like, earrings and down to my butt. But uh, Mike Halfhill knows that those times. Yeah. But then there's nothing worse than old guy with bald spot and long hair, you know. So, but that's a judgment against myself, right? Maybe I need to overcome that. Come to terms with the bald spot, right? Yeah, like that. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, appreciate your comment. Hi. Oh, Marie's next. No, Marie's next. Yeah. Alzheimer's. Yeah, good. So I'm just clarifying from my brain. Um, so we want to learn to stop messing with ourselves, but we're also doing therapy and meditation and practices. So is it kind of like we're messing with ourselves to the with guidance to the point where we can quit messing with ourselves? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. What, what works, how, how that works is actually we need a system. Uh, the, the Buddha discovered that actually there's a systematic way to uh, extinguish that behavior. And it, it doesn't just happen randomly. So that's why there is kind of a program and, and, and for some reason a systematic examination 
of what isn't wrong with you works. We have to discover what, you know, there's nothing wrong with us. But that, that discovery has to be somewhat systematic. It, it, it actually doesn't work very well randomly. I think there have been, you know, spiritual geniuses, so to speak, or to use, you know, Robert Thurman's genius for bodhisattvas that um, have what looks like spontaneous awakening, of course. But uh, that still had to come about through causes and conditions. It, it, it still had to manifest somehow. We just didn't see it. But generally, um, what's unique about uh, a system is that uh, it, it, it isolates us to the corner where eventually we have to admit there's nothing wrong with us. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Hi. Oh, Susan, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your talk. Um, I'm really nervous. <laughs> yeah. I don't like to do this. Yeah. Um, you spoke in the beginning about people who wish to harm us. Yeah. What about people who don't wish to harm us, but do harm us? Yeah, they that's most of us. They don't intend that. Yes, yes. That's so, most of us. Right. That's called our family, a lot of <laughs> That's called our friends, <laughs> always. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah. So how do we deal with that? So, so much of the practice is about speaking up. So much of the practice is about uh, apologizing. So much of the practice is about confessing, making amends, and working through. It, but it's based on telling the truth. It's constant. That is just a constant thing. Where we, we have to speak up and say, you know, maybe you didn't mean to be mean, but this is how I took it. We, we have to do that, and that's really awkward. We have to learn and create safe situations so people can say to others, like, you know, that didn't really feel good what you just said, or I'm, I'm not good with that, and to have enough safety to do that. Once again, we have to create structures generally for that to happen. And we need to have structures so we can listen to other people say, you know, by the way, um, you guys aren't very friendly here. Like that, yeah. That's a totally ongoing thing, always. That's not an anomaly. That's like right now. Yeah. Good question. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so... Hi. Thank you for that wonderful um, talk today. Um, I have a, a comment, a question, uh, and a response. Um, so the comment is that um, it, for me it was very, very balanced and clear today. So maybe that's why there's not so many questions. Um, the que and sort of clarifying also um, as I study Dharma and as I meditate, how I notice that <clears throat> things that I misperceived um, once they kind of dissolved or clarified and I understood them, then I could see a little bit better what was beyond that and what was beyond that was right here. Uh -huh. um, 
and uh, kind of like hiking up the mountain. And then I, as I sort of clear another layer of trees, I'm seeing a little bit better, a little bit more of a panorama, you know. Um, um, lots of trees in the way still. <laughs> um, the question maybe does not, it, it may be the subject for another talk, um, or maybe a darshan, but it just kind of came up for me today, which was um, in some of the prayer books that I have, um, there, there was mention of the central channel, and um, I, I sort of feel like I have kind of a, a little bit of a concept of it, but I, um, I don't have teaching in the, on that, and so I'm curious, would you be willing to talk about that a little bit today, or do you think that would maybe be another lecture? You're referring to, um, you know, when we're talking about the Vajrabadi, the uh, inner, you know, uh, system of, of energy. So uh, the idea in Tantra is that um, we, we have a, a, a wonderful central energy highway that kind of runs up and down this way, and we have alternative uh, roads uh, tangled all around it. So we're in knots. And we have uh, flower-like or you know, tree-like kind of things, chakras, and it, those are tangled up too. So we, we, we're trying to untangle things and bring, bring the winds or bring the energy in, uh, into the central channel. So uh, these are advanced um, Tantra practices that um, uh, are, are doable uh, uh, but need some teachings because um, if we do them wrong, we can waste a lot of time or screw ourselves up. So that's why they're not meant to be secret because we're making money off them. They're meant to be taught individually and, and with a certain kind of discipline like that. But that's uh, the central channel. Yeah. Uma, that's easy, right? Uma means middle. Like Thank Uma you. Thurman. Ah, yeah, wonderful. that's easy. I wanted to make a response to Chris. Um, Chris, I'm having a really rough week, so if I didn't say hello to you, it's no, uh, nothing to do with you. <laughs> if I... Okay. <laughs> Feel free to ask, how, ask me how I'm doing if I have a grumpy look on my face, yeah. too, by the way. <laughs> Very good. Let's take... Uh, uh, short break, and we're going to come back. Those people who want to come back for a meditation, come back. Those people who want to come up and say hi to me can, and those people that uh, need to get home can get home. All right? And so we, I'll, I'll ring the gong like this really loudly to come back, maybe in about seven or eight minutes. Is that okay? Can you hear it? Yep. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. This has been a Lion's Roar Dharma Center recording. For more information, visit lionsroardharmacenter.org.